Webster's Dictionary defines community as a place where you can have feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. It's kind of the sense of community that organized religion can provide. But does it? Is it really happening in today's Christian environments or churches? It's tough, but let's take a closer look at how we can live that out on today's A Critical Faith podcast from First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska with Pastor Sue Collar. Ruth was a Moabite woman married to an Israelite husband. When her husband died, her mother-in-law Naomi went back to Israel and Ruth came with her. They were poor, and in those days, widows who did not have a male relative to look after them really struggled. So Naomi concocted a plan to get the attention of her relative Boaz and convince him to wed Ruth. So listen to that story from Ruth chapters 3 and 4. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with whose young women you have been working. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then, go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. She said to her, All that you tell me, I will do. So Ruth did as Naomi said. We'll talk in a bit about what was really going on because it's not as innocent as the scripture makes it sound. But the bottom line is, is that Boaz didn't have the right to marry Ruth. Her closest male relative did. And Boaz, though, he worked it out with this other relative, and in the end, they were married. So that's where we pick up the story again. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together... The Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. So our second scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark. I chose this reading because it has something to say about what it means and what it does not mean to be part of a community. As he taught, he said, Beware the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, 
all she had to live on. Let me tell you a story. It's a story that you probably think you know, but you really don't. It's the story of Ruth and Naomi. You see, there had been a famine in the land of Israel, and Naomi and her husband went to Moab to find food for their family. Typically then, as now, when someone travels to another country, you still send some of your bounty back to your family in your home country. Because no matter the distance that separates you from your, you're still connected. You are still responsible to and for each other. We don't think Naomi and her husband did that. They just left. But to make matters worse, when the famine was over, they stayed in Moab. They had no plans to return to Israel. In fact, both of their sons married Moabite women. But then the unimaginable happened. First her husband, and then both of her sons died. Naomi had no way to provide for herself. Her only option was to return to Israel, where she actually did own some land that she inherited from her family, and she still did have some relatives. Naomi encouraged her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, to stay in Moab. They were both relatively young, probably actually still young teenagers at that point. And they still had marriage prospects if they stayed. And so she encouraged them to go back to their families in Moab. Orpah went ahead and did that, but Ruth didn't. And Ruth gives this wonderful speech. She says, where you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. That speech is often held up as the epitome of faithfulness, loyalty, and love. But sometimes faithfulness, loyalty, and love clash with the realities of life. Naomi may have inherited some land from her husband, but she had no one to farm it and no one to look after her. So she was in a tough predicament. Lone widows did not fare well in Israel, and they were often reduced to begging. But Naomi was shrewd. She told Ruth there is a man who is her kin in Israel. She just needed to find a way to make him acknowledge her and take responsibility for her and for Ruth. So she sets the stage for what probably seemed like her only option to get his attention. Although today we would probably arrest her for what she did. She sent Ruth to the threshing floor to find Boaz. Now those of you who've studied the book of Ruth know that the author was very fond of euphemisms. When Naomi told Ruth to uncover Boaz's feet and lie with him, feet in Hebrew was a euphemism for the genitals. To lie with someone was to have sexual intercourse. And now let's talk about the threshing floor. That was where you went to have sex for hire. So let's be blunt. Naomi pimped Ruth out so that she could use her body to seduce Boaz and trap him into taking responsibility for them. And it worked. Ruth and Boaz actually got married and they had a child who became the great-great-grandfather 27 times removed of Jesus. This, my friends, is the community of faith that we are birthed from. Our motives may not always be pure. Oftentimes they are self-serving. We use people to achieve our own ends. Our methods are not always good or loving, and nor do we always embrace our responsibilities without being forced or pressured into them. I put up a, a post on Facebook the other day about an example of what is and is not Christian ethics and Christian love. It says, they did it first is not a Christian ethic. They do things that are worse is not a Christian ethic. They deserve it because is not a Christian ethic. Love your neighbors, bless those who curse you, 
Pray for those who persecute you. That is a Christian ethic. And a friend of mine, my friend is not a Christian, although she's an amazing person, posted on that, you know, Christians, the people who are supposed to always have a place at the table for you, are often the most judgmental people on earth. And I had to agree with her. And I might also add that Christians are sometimes some of the least loving people I have ever met. To be honest, to a lot of people, the church looks more like the story I told about Ruth and Naomi and less like Ruth's profound expression of love and faithfulness. As a beloved community, we have failed over and over. We have failed to be a community where love and respect, sharing and empowering and building up, truth and sacrifice, forgiveness and mercy. We have failed to be a church, a community, where those things are the way we are with each other. And it has led generations of people to give up on the church. There are times where I have to admit, even I ask, what's the point of church? Over my 30 years of ministry, I've seen churches at their best, and I've also seen the church at its worst. It amazes me that Jesus ever thought he could commission a group of believers to carry on his work in the world of loving others and inviting people into a new way of being when we're the ones he has to work with. Even his own disciples kept messing up. You remember that woman who came to anoint Jesus with a jar of oil? She had spent her entire savings from years and years and years on this tiny jar of oil to anoint Jesus' feet. Remember how his disciples responded? They got angry. They thought she had wasted the money when it could have been better used on other things. Judas stole from Jesus and the disciples. Peter denied knowing him when it really mattered. More than once, the disciples tried to keep people away from Jesus, the very people that Jesus came to help, that Jesus came to be with. And they fought over who would have the most power in this new community that is built on the foundation of sacrifice and service for the sake of others. Hardly an auspicious start for the church, is it? And yet Jesus never gave up on them. One day Jesus took his disciples to the temple, and Jesus liked to people watch. He watched people putting money into the temple offering boxes. Now remember, he was watching his own people, the chosen people of God. And he pointed out the two extremes that he saw. Those who made a show of putting in large amounts of money, making a show of their faith to get attention. Hey, look at what I'm doing. Look at how great I am. And those who quietly put all they had in just out of love. One person cared only about themselves. One person put the community above her own interests with a pure heart. Jesus was constantly telling stories and giving examples of how to follow him and what following him doesn't look like. In this case, the clear implication was, if you want to follow Jesus, follow the example of the widow. Be generous. Don't do it for your own glory. Do it out of love. But here's the other thing. Both the widow and the one trying to get accolades were both part of the community of faith. The one who put the interests of others above their own and the one who put the interests of themselves above the good of the community. The church has never been perfect. It has always been filled with the schemers and the generous. It has always been filled with both saints and sinners, even and often in the same person. And it's always been a place where, even with our imperfections and worst inclinations, grace is found. That's why we keep coming back. Naomi, she was probably viewed as a traitor 
by her people, who abandoned her community, only to come crawling back when she lost everything she had. While it was rough for her at the start, and she did scheme, and she did use Ruth to get what she wanted, she still knew that home was where she belonged, and that there was a place for her there. The disciples? Don't forget Jesus set a place at the table for Judas. And let's not forget Boaz. I mean, after all, it was no secret that he could regularly be found at the red light district of the threshing floor. And yet in the end, he did the right thing, even though he was tricked into it. He stepped up and he took responsibility for both Ruth and Naomi. And in case you ever wonder if God can make good come out of our less than perfect motives, out of Ruth and Boaz came the Savior of the world. Welcome to the Church of Saints and Sinners. I hope you know that you are loved. I hope you know that even the ugliest parts of you are loved and there's a place for you here. And if we as a church don't do our best in loving you, I guess that's a growth opportunity for us, isn't it? I hope someone holds us accountable. And at the same time, I hope they are gracious with us because we are all saints and sinners. I keep going back to Jesus watching the people give their offerings every day. We have a choice about who we will model our lives after. Will we be like the one who is just oblivious to the needs of others? Or will we be like the one who just gave everything she had for the sake of the kingdom? Will we be a part of building up the community of faith? Or will we tear it down by choosing to absent ourselves? Or criticize? Or ridicule? When faced with our responsibilities towards the larger community, will we rise up to meet them? Or will we turn our backs on them? And just as importantly, will we forgive and welcome those who have not chosen well? Or will we turn our backs on them and shut the door? And will we forgive ourselves? Because sometimes we are the ones who make the wrong choice. We are the ones who walked the wrong path. You know, we want the church to be a safe place for everyone, and a place where grace is lived extravagantly, a place where we can practice being more and more like Christ. That starts with realizing that the church has never been and never will be perfect. It starts with each one of us making a choice about how do we want to be in this community of faith. Do we want to just give what we can and get by, or do we want to give extravagantly? Do we want to make a difference? Do we want to show up just to get attention or power or our way? Or do we want to show up to help and to serve and to learn and to empower others? Do we use people for our own benefit and agendas, or do we offer ourselves in service to others to help others grow? Do we disconnect when we don't get our way? Or do we humble ourselves and acknowledge that we are part of a less than perfect church? Will we forgive or not? Will we show grace or not? It would be disingenuous of me to say that this is an easy choice. I wish it were, but it's not. We have a lot of pressures to choose the wrong path. We have a lot of pressures to focus on what we want and not so much on what's best for the community. We also live in a world where even church people are not so forgiving, not so gracious. I mean, I have to give it to Naomi. I mean, she probably knew going home would not be easy. She knew she had abandoned her family back there, but she went anyway. And in the end, she found what she needed. What more can anyone ask than for a community that will look beyond the bad things we've done and welcome us in? No community is perfect. You know, but as a community of faith, we do have models sprinkled in the midst of our humanity who can call forth our better selves, who remind us that we are made for each other. And we have a wonderful collection of examples in Scripture of 
those who are less than perfect and yet who are brave enough to demand their place in God's beloved community. The key is recognizing that being part of a community, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about us. So how can we show grace to each other and stay in relationship? And it's remembering that you and I are not the ones who invite people into this community. Christ does. And he doesn't have a litmus test for admission. So how do we welcome each other? How do we love each other? How do we show grace to each other? Knowing that it is Christ who brings us together. Remember the words Ruth spoke to Naomi when Naomi tried to convince her to stay in Moab? Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. I see in Ruth's words what the community of faith is at its best. No matter what, we will not turn away from each other. We will be there for each other through thick and thin, when it's easy and when it's hard, no matter what. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, where we are a faith-nurturing, curious, diversity-loving community of Christ followers. Come find out more about us at fpclincoln.org or like our Facebook page at First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska.